Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress. Oh, you are my portion. You are my hiding place. Oh, I believe through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress. Oh, you are my portion. You are my hiding place. I believe that you are the way, the truth, the life. And I believe that you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe through every blessing, through every promise, through every breath I take. And I believe that you are provider, that you are protector, that you are the one I love. And I believe that you are the way, the truth. It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you. And you meet me here today with mercies that are new. Oh, all my fears and doubts, they can all come to because they can't stay long when I am here with you. Oh, it's a new horizon, and I'm set on you. And you meet me here today mercies that are new, Lord. All my fears and doubts, yeah, they can all come to because they can't stay long when I believe that you are the way, the truth, the life. And I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you. Can you meet me here today? Mercies that are new, Lord. All my fears and doubts, yeah, they can all come to because they can't stay long. When I believe that you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe that you are the way, the truth, the life, and I believe that you are. Good morning, C3 family and friends. I trust that you've had a blessed week. As I think about life and the year 2020, that would certainly go down in history as the year of the pandemic. 
I am reminded of God's word and his promise to never leave or forsake us. So regardless of what has happened, what is happening or what will happen, God is faithful. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but his loving kindness will not be removed from you and his covenant of peace will not be shaken. Please join me now for our call to worship scripture found in Psalm 73 as I read it in its entirety. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covered them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casteth them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terror. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holded me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. God's word for God's people. Amen.
Hey, thanks, Brenda, for the call to worship. We're going to teach you a new song. This one, it's called Graves in the Gardens. The chorus uh, it just says, there's nothing better than you. So uh, it'll be easy for you to catch on if you're singing along with us at home. I promise to play the right chords for this song. So here we go. And I searched the world But it couldn't fill me A man's empty praise And treasures that fade Are never enough Then you came along You put me back together And every desire is now satisfied hearing your love oh there's nothing better than you lord there's nothing better than you lord there's nothing nothing is better than you I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all. You still call me friend. Cause the God of the mountain, the God of the valley, that there's not a place your mercy and grace will find me in Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. shame into glory you're the only one who can you turn mourning to dancing you give beauty for ashes you turn shame into glory you're the only one who can you turn grace into goddess you turn Nothing is better 
Quite a declaration, right? Yes. There's nothing better than you. Do we believe that's yeah. true? Hmm. That's, 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 we need to rewind and listen to that one again <laughs> and again and again. That was great. Thank, Thank you, you, guys. Thank you. It was really good. So um, I'm going to open the uh, this service this morning, or this part of it anyway. Study. Yeah, the study, mm-hmm. with um, reading from 2 Samuel 6. So if you've got your Bible, you can open to that. And um, if you read the email, then you know that this is about moving the ark. David's moving the ark to Jerusalem. I'm just going to read the chapter. Here we go. 2 Samuel 6. Then David gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all, and he led them to uh, Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's army, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart, and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Iho, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart as it left the house, carrying the ark of God. Iho uh, walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs, kind of like what we're doing today, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, cymbals, uh, perhaps bass drum, uh, drums and basses and, and guitars. When they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there before the ark of God, and David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah, and he named the place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, and it's still called that today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the the ark of the Lord back into my care? So he decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Mm. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. But, it's always that, right? It's always that transition. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked up, looked down from her window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And when he had finished the sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. 
when, and he gave many gifts. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him, and she said in disgust how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. And David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, Mm. even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Good morning. How about that? Um, Last week, we looked at David, the same King David, the second king of Israel, in chapter 9 of this book, 2 Samuel. Uh, Again, the first few chapters, the first 10 or 11 chapters of 1 Samuel, David is, these are all happening at the same time. David has just become king, and he is beginning his reign by doing certain things that are very important to him. Last week, we saw that one of the things that was important to David when he finally became king, he sought out the descendants of Jonathan, the person through which he had received incredible grace, and he wanted to bless Jonathan's children as Jonathan had blessed him. Another one of the first things that David wanted to do when he became king was he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant from where it was resting or staying to Jerusalem, his capital. He wanted the Ark, that which represented the presence of God, that which represented the source of God's blessings. He wanted that as close to himself, as close to his family, as close to his capital and throne and reign and kingdom as he possibly could. And so one of the very first things he did is he went to get the ark from the house of Abinadab Uh and bring it to Jerusalem. Now, just so you know, the ark was a little box. It was about two feet wide and about two feet high, give or take, and about uh, four feet long. It was a wooden box covered in gold. It had four rings, one ring on each corner. And it was supposed to have golden poles running through those rings. Um, It had a lid on it called the mercy seat, which was also golden. And it had two uh, seraphim angel-like beings uh, uh, placed on each end of the ark. And uh, in the ark... Was, was the original stone tablets that contained the Ten Commandments that, Moses, that God gave to Moses and Moses brought down from Mount Sinai hundreds of years earlier, and, he, and those stayed in the Ark of the Covenant. Um, where the Ark was supposed to be uh, all this time, from the time of Moses to the time of David, was in the Holy of Holies place, in the tabernacle, uh, which no one could go into except the high priest once a year. And that's where it was supposed to be. And uh, the high priest once a year was supposed to take an innocent lamb, kill it, take its blood, and go into the Holy of Holies and 
pour this blood, splash this blood on top of the ark. And that act of sacrificing the blood of the innocent lamb was to atone for the sins of the nation of Israel for that previous year. And the the high priest would do that uh, once a year. As I said, David uh, sincerely wanted the presence of God as close to him and his family and kingdom as possible. And he, he loved the Lord's presence. He wanted the Lord's presence with him and upon him. He actually, there would be, I could say safely that he wanted and valued the presence of the Lord more than anything in his life. And so he goes to the home of Abinadab, which is over on the west side of Judah, really on the other side of Judah from Jerusalem, to the home of Abinadab, which is right near the border of the the border between Israel and the Philistines. Uh, because that's where the ark had been staying for the last 45 years. And it begs the question, why is the ark in the house of Abinadab over by the land of the Philistines and not in the Holy, Holy of Holies in the tabernacle? And the answer is that 45 years earlier, uh, the Philistines invaded the land of Israel. The Israelite army mobilized to, to drive the Philistine army out of Israel And they got this idea that if they took the Ark of the Covenant out of the Holy of Holies and took it with them into battle, that somehow using the Ark as a good luck charm would help ensure their victory. Well, because God is not a good luck charm and will not allow himself to be used as a good luck charm, uh, the Israelites promptly lost the battle. They got their fannies whipped decisively, and the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant back to Philistia with them, uh, which was an incredible act of humiliation and shame upon the Israelites. And the ark stayed with the Philistines for three months, three or four months. And uh, finally, God said, enough's enough. Uh, I've taught the Israelites the lesson I wanted to teach them. And he, through a series of events, uh, encouraged the Philistines to send the ark back to Israel which they did. Just like Pharaoh, God uh, encouraged Pharaoh to release the Israelites when God was ready. God encouraged the Philistines to send the ark back when God was ready, and they did. Uh, Here's the thing, and this is significant. The Philistines, not knowing any better, sent the ark of God back on a new cart pulled by oxen back to Israel. It crossed the border back into Israel and wound up at the home of Abinadab. And it stayed there throughout the entire reign of King Saul. Don't miss that. One of the differences, one of the distinctions between the reign of King Saul and the reign of David is that for 40 years, King Saul never thought about bringing the ark back to where it was supposed to be. He didn't value the presence of God. David, one of the first things when he becomes king, I want the ark back where it's supposed to be, and I want it close to me. Perhaps he was singing that song, There's Nothing Better Than You. That's exactly right. Thank you. That's a, that's a great observation. Um, so he goes to get the ark. That was a good desire. That was a good intention. But there's a problem. David had not read the book. David, for whatever reason, even though he loved God and knew God, He had never taken the time to really read God's law, God's word. Because God very clearly 
in Exodus 20, chapter 25, told his people how to move the ark. Uh, and David ignored all of the ways that God had given uh, to his people as far as stipulations on how to move the ark. Uh, David had not read the word of God. The people had not read the word of God in such a long time that they had forgotten these rules for moving that which represented his presence. It says in Exodus 25 that when the ark was to be moved, it was to only be moved by Levites. Abinadab's sons were not Levites. It was supposed to be moved by four Levites on the ends of those two poles. It was not supposed to be moved on a cart. It was supposed to be covered, which it was not, and it was never to be touched. And as it was moved, every so many feet, there was supposed to be sacrifices uh, by, by the innocent lambs and the shedding of blood. Again, all of this was designed to protect the people of God from harm and to show people what God was like, that he was a holy God and that his presence and his glory were of utmost value and it needed to be respected. Um, David and those that were moving the ark ignored all of those rules. Um, they followed the example of the Philistines using the cart and the oxen, rather than studying God's word and doing, moving the ark the way God told them to. As a result of them ignoring God's commands, God's rules, as they were moving the ark on this cart pulled by oxen, one of Abinadab's sons was in the front, Uzzah, his other son, was in the back. They go down through a low place, and one of the oxen stumble. It doesn't say that the ark was going to fall. It just said the oxen stumbled. And when they did, the cart shook. And when it did, Uzzah, one of the sons, reached out and grabbed the ark to steady. It doesn't say it was going to fall. It just said that he reached out to steady the ark. And when he did, he instantly died. David was furious. Obviously, the parade, the 30,000 soldiers, all of the people of Israel, everybody's celebrating, bands are playing, people are shouting and rejoicing, and, and all of a sudden, one of the guys moving the ark is struck dead. You can imagine what that did to the, to the party, to the celebration, to the parade. Um, and David is terrified, and David is furious, and he leaves the ark right where it is, near the home of a, uh, a, a, a man named Obed-Edom. This is a man that was a Philistine. He was not even a Jewish person. He was just, a, we don't know very much about him, uh, but, but David left the ark there in anger and fear uh, 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 with this man, and he goes back to Jerusalem to pout. If you just want to be honest, um, I think it's very important to not miss what's going on here. God gave his law to the people of Israel so that they would know how to relate to him, how to relate to one another, how to experience an abundant and blessed life. And also he gave them the law 
so that through their actions, through their worship, through the way God created their religious uh, ceremonies, the ark, the tabernacle, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the Bible says that God gave Israel all of those things so that the world would understand how glorious God really was. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Bible, God says, If you follow my laws, the world will know what a glorious God I really am. Problem is, David and those moving the ark didn't follow God's laws. They didn't move the ark the way they were supposed to. Uzzah, by example, he thought that stopping the ark from falling into the dirt was a real problem. The truth is, the problem of the ark falling in the dirt wasn't as big an issue in the eyes of God as a sinful man reaching out and touching that which represented the holiness of God. The soil wasn't a problem. A sinful man touching the, the symbol of God's holiness, that was the problem. Second problem was God didn't need us as help. When God wanted the ark moved from the land of the Philistines back to Israel, he did it without us's help, without anybody's help. And if God wanted the ark not to fall, he could have stopped it. In fact, it doesn't even say that it was going to fall. But he didn't need us's help. Um, also, um, th the idea that um, they were trying to move the ark without sacrifices, without the shedding of blood. All of these actions or inactions, if you will, by Uzzah and David, they were communicating flawed and inferior and wrong messages about who God is and who God's people are. That's why in Deuteronomy 30, God said, today I am giving you my law. And by doing so, I am putting before you life and death. If you, if you study and embrace my laws, you'll experience life and blessings. And if you ignore and reject my law, you will experience death and curses. Um, I find it very significant that David, David breaks God's laws. David does not follow God's rules. David does not do it God's way. And yet he gets mad at God when David suffers the consequences of his own disobedience and rebellion. You know who else does that? You. Everybody. And me and my wife. How amazing it is that we ignore God's laws and God's rules. We don't take the time to study God's rules. We follow the example of others, just like David did. He followed the example of the Philistines rather than following the rules that God gave on how to move the, the ark. He followed the example of the Philistines because he didn't read the book. We do the same thing. We don't read the book. And when we don't follow God's rules on how to relate to our mate, how to parent, how to handle our money, how to use our lives to be a blessing to others, especially those that are in need and have not been blessed. 
uh, like we have, how to use our eyes, our mouths, our bodies. When we uh, 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 don't read and embrace the principles of God's Word and our world begins to fall apart, how quickly we get mad at God. If God really loved me, He wouldn't let this happen. And I can just hear God saying, Oh, my dear child, I love you so much, I wrote down the instructions so that you could study them and follow them and experience the life and the blessings that I long for you to have. So David puts the ark in the home of Obed-Edom. This is a Philistine. We know nothing about his life. We don't know if he, what we do know is he's not a child, he's not a Jew. He's not a part of the chosen race, a part of the elect. We don't know anything about his faith. We don't know anything about his goodness. We don't know about his desire to follow God's law. We know nothing about Obed-Edom. It doesn't say a word about his goodness, his faith, his obedience. What it does say is that because the presence of God was in the home of Obed-Edom, God began to pour out his blessings upon that man in his house. Mm. Not because of his race, not because of his faith, not because of his obedience, not because of his goodness, but solely because of God's sovereign grace. God was declaring through his blessing of a person that was not even a Jew, and as far as we know, did not have any faith in God or obedience to God's law. What God is declaring to David and to Israel is, there's no one too good that does not need my sovereign grace. There's no one too bad, too far away, that's messed up too terribly, that cannot experience God's sovereign grace. After three months, David begins to hear that Obed-Edom is experiencing the blessings of God. And he wants that more than he wants anything. So he goes back and tries again. But if you paid attention to what Charlie read in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, this time David did it right. He followed the rules. He followed the commands of God in Exodus 25 on how to move the ark. He has priests carrying the ark. It's covered. He has sacrifices being done uh, every so many feet. He's carrying it the way God asked him to. And ultimately, because he read and followed the book and moved the ark the way God told him to, he turned a tragedy into a great celebration. Oh, what a message. How much unnecessary pain and loss do we experience in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our finances, in our health, and on and on and on because we will not read and study and follow the instructions in the book. Ultimately, as the chapter ends, you see David bringing the ark into Jerusalem his capital, with abandoned joy and celebration and worship to the point that it's very significant that here's the king of Israel and he's not surrounded by soldiers. He's not surrounded by princes and princesses and celebrities and nobility. He's, he's, he's wound up celebrating with such abandonment, uh, uh, forgetting who he is and where he is that he winds up among the lowliest 
of the people, the lowliest of his subjects. And he's celebrating. He's a different person. Just three months earlier, you see a man that's angry and terrified and uh, abandoning uh, his real, his really his relationship with God. And three months later, you see a man that is so abandoned in his joy and his worship and his celebration and his love for God that he forgets who he is and where he is. All he can do is focus on how wonderful God is. How did that happen? Why did that happen? How could that change occur in the life of somebody like David? And I think the answer is, David, during those three months, he pondered his experience with Abinadab, and he pondered his experience with Obed-Edom. He thought about those two men and what happened, and it changed his life. It made him a man that was in love with God to the point that nothing else mattered. That he forgot about who he was and where he was and all the other things that were going on. He didn't care. He just wanted to love and worship and follow God. What did he learn from Abinadab? He learned that God is holier than David ever thought. He learned that you can't approach God on your own terms. You can't approach God your own way. You can't approach God by your own merit. You can't approach God through your own effort or even in your own sincerity. There, a man died. Uzzah died. Abinadab's son died because he did not approach God through the means that God had established. He tried to do it his own way. God, David learned God is holy and I am not. Uh, as C.S. Lewis so wisely said, is God safe? No, he's not. He's not safe, but he's good. David learned that you can't approach God your own way and by your own terms. He learned that God was holier than he could possibly imagine. The other thing that David learned that changed his life is that he learned that that God was more full of grace than David could ever imagine. Here's, Here's David seeing God pour out his gracious love and blessings upon a a non-Jew, a non-elect, a a, a Philistine, one that was the arch enemy of the people of God. He saw God pour out his blessings on this man, not because of of Obed-Edom's goodness, but because of God's grace. Not because of Obed-Edom's obedience, but because of God's grace. And I think what God was telling David was, don't you dare think that there are good people and bad people. High people and low people. Good uh, uh, races and bad races. Good nations and bad nations. God's favor can't be earned. It's available to everyone. And it's simply that which must be accepted by faith and enjoyed with gratitude. I just, I think this is such a great declaration in God's word of the fact that the cross 
the symbol of God's ultimate place of sacrifice. The cross is the great leveler. Everyone is welcome. It's available to everyone. And anyone, Jew or Philistine, a, a United States citizen or Russian, Brazilian or Chinese, whoever, red or yellow, black or white, young or old, male or female, the cross is the place where we all come into the presence of God and can receive His grace if we only want it. I would just say in closing that uh, what a contrast. Don't miss the contrast between King David and Michael, his wife. You see one person full of joy, full of delight, full of humility, full of worship because he realized two things, that God was holier than he could possibly imagine and that God was full of grace more than David could imagine. And it changed his life for good and filled him with joy. In contrast, you see a lady, Michael, who was uh, represented uh, the nobility. She had been the, she'd grown up in a palace. She'd grown up the child of a king. She grew up knowing that she was separate and different and better. But all that blessing, all of that opportunity, all of that privilege, what it had it done? It had made her angry and fearful. Hmm. You see a woman that was full of judgment and condescension and sarcasm and anger and fear and worry that was consumed with appearances. Oh, David, don't let people see, see, see you as being a commoner. Don't you see what you're doing? Be careful about other people's opinions of you. Michael did not see what David saw. And that is that, yes, we are all in need of grace because God is holier than we could possibly imagine. But also Michael didn't see what David saw, and that is that God's grace is abundant and available to anyone who will receive it. And I hope today that you will consider receiving God's grace. If you never have, if you think about your life, you think about your, your, your relationship, you think about your understanding of God, what does God look like to you? How do you feel about God? How do you see God? How do people see God through your life? Are you angry, fearful, judgmental, condescending, sarcastic? Or do you look down on people? Or do you see, or is your life a life that reflects the life of David? One that was full of love and devotion and worship and celebration. I want us to celebrate the Lord's Supper as we end our service today, we end our study today. If you have bread and wine or juice, I want you to quickly take those with me. We're going to eat this cracker uh, as a symbol of the, of the body of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to eat, drink this wine or juice. And we do so just to declare our belief that God sent His Son to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could uh, uh, experience that abundant grace and so that we could spend an eternity with a holy God. So you eat and you drink with me.
Lord Jesus, we thank you today for the reminder that you are more holy than we could imagine. And that can either fill us with terror or it can fill us with a humility that cries out for mercy. We thank you that you're more gracious than we could imagine and that you've made that grace available to any and all who will receive it by faith. And you did that through the death of your son on the cross. Thank you for that. We bless you today. Amen. Be the light in the cracks. Be the one that's mending the camel's back. Slow to anger, quick to laugh. Be more hard and less attack. Be the wheels, not the track. Be the wonder that's coming back. Leave the past right where it's at. Be more hard and less attack. The more you take, the less you have. Cause it's you in the mirror staring back Quick to let go and slow to react Be more hard and less attack Ever growing steadfast And if need be the one that's in the gap Never, never that's turning back Twice the hard any man could have Not the track, be the wonder that's coming back. Leave the past right where it's at. Be more hard and less attack. Be more hard and less attack. Be more hard and less attack. You guys have a great week. Thanks for joining us. We are Christ Community Church. We'll be back this or next week, not this week, 1015 Facebook Live and YouTube Live. Thanks again for joining us and come on back. We'll see you all next week.